Welcome to the Discovery Pod, where we talk to leading experts from the University of Adelaide about solutions to society's most pressing challenges. Transitioning to green energy will require us to mine more resources than we have ever mined in history. How will we do this sustainably? Discussing this topic is Professor Michael Goodsight, Environmental Engineer and Director at the Institute for Mineral and Energy Resources, and Tom Payton, who is undertaking a PhD to develop mineral-specific sensors that identify damaging or valuable minerals. So Michael, if we begin at the um, basics, how do we currently mine copper in Australia? Well, sure. Well, um, copper is mined in a couple of different ways in Australia and around the world. There are large open pit mines that I'm sure people have in their mind that um, you take the copper directly from um, ore that you mine and you get deeper and deeper as you go along. Um, there are mines that go underground that people might know and might think about from those um, video games that some of the kids play when, when they're kind of mining materials and they go deeper and, and deeper underground and follow the copper kind of a way. And then there's another way where you're um, uh, you're, you're taking the copper out of the ground from um, putting tubes into the ground and putting down a liquid that helps liquefy the copper and then you suck the liquid up to the ground and in that way you're, you're doing in, in um, place recovery or in situ leaching it's called um, and um, you're mining the, the mineral copper rather than rock or the ore. Now in Australia, which is, we're really lucky in this country to have um, about the second largest amount of known resources in the world for copper, right after Chile. Um, but we're currently at, at about fifth in the world production-wise. Most copper is actually mined underground. And in South Australia, we have one of the largest underground copper mines in the world at um, Olympic Dam. Another large uh, copper mine in, in Australia is around um, Mount Isa. So you see all three types of copper mining in Australia, but mostly it's done underground mm -hmm. and um, in, in, in our country here. Right, okay. And um, we all know that mining uh, is somewhat of a controversial topic. Um, are all of these processes um, bad or good or for the environment, or are some of them uh, worse for the environment than others? Well, I think that that's a, a, a great question. Um, all of us as humans impact the environment the day we enter Earth. And um, I was just talking to my own family about how when I was a kid, the population of the Earth was half of what it is now. And so if you think about mining and what's been done through um, humanity, firstly, copper was the first metal humans mined. And they did it because they found out that copper was had a lot of uses, and, and it's still that way. Copper has lots of uses, and it's all around us. A normal vehicle has about 20 kilos of copper in it, whereas an electric vehicle can have lots more copper. Um, a windmill, for example, can have four tons of copper in it. So we need it, and the question is that you asked, are all the ways we get to it sustainable? And I think businesses recognize they have to become more sustainable. They've made promises to do so, um, and the world expects it of them, not just their investors, but all of us. 
And I think that if you look at how we mined in the past, that it's not the way we're going to mine in the future. And businesses are doing a lot to learn how to um, uh, get to the amount of copper we need because we need a lot of copper and other materials um, without producing the waste that we see produced. And um, if you see mines, you see piles of rocks around. That's, that, that's referred to in mining as tailings. 46% of the world's tailings are from copper mining. So um, the question is, how do we turn tailings into a resource instead of a waste? How do we use less water, less energy? And I think that there's lots of example um, of Australian universities and companies trying to lead the way um, because we can't uh, move forward as a society without it at the growth rates we're seeing. There's right. a gap and, and um, we have to address it, uh, but, but are we doing it as sustainably as we could be doing it yet? Um, I think there's lots of room for improvement and we're happy to help um, companies um, improve. Right. So in essence, if we want to see the sustainable development goals achieved, we need more copper and we're going to have to um, access it in some way. And the question is now, how do we do that in a more sustainable way? Well, exactly, because, you know, copper has always been recycled and it's still being recycled. But in the, the issue is, is that generally, globally, less than 20% of copper we're going to be able to recycle again because most copper we use is tied up in buildings and infrastructure and we can't just simply re recycle that so mm -hmm. so easily. And, and even if we could, what do we do with all the other materials and not impact the environment as much? Mm -hmm. So um, it's a complicated issue and copper is just one of the materials or metals we need but it's an important one for Australia, and it's a key one um, to electrify society or to modernize our energy systems, mm -hmm. which is the focus of the research institute I'm honored to lead. Right. So um, just to really take it back to basics, uh, we need copper to electrify because we need copper wires, things like that take energy from our um, renewable energy sources like wind farms, solar panels, to actually take it to our light bulbs or to Exactly, our, and yeah. to even build the windmill with. As I mentioned um, before, it's, uh, some windmills have four tons of copper in them in their motors. Solar right. panels have copper in them. Mm. Um, and you need the transmission wires, mm -hmm. uh, all that infrastructure. Um, and then to, to use electric cars that use even more copper than, um, than normal cars. Right. Um, and, and so it's, it's part of the equation. Um, I think the good news is the copper's there. Uh, because in any productive mine, we're only mining the the very tip of the iceberg, so to speak. Okay. Um, and and the rest of the copper we have not used. And when I say we, humanity through the mining companies have not accessed because there's a premium they pay um, on the environment with more water and more um, and more uh, energy. And so. I think that as we explore ways to get to that copper um, and, and uh, address the paradigm of using less water and less energy, we'll be able to, um, we'll be able to uh, um, uh, um, get the copper we need. And I guess another great, great um, 
strength of Australia is its ability to find copper, exploring and using um, techniques that you see even being developed and used in space to find new, new um, copper sources. That's super exciting, but to develop copper um, new mines uh, requires globally on average 16 years. Okay. And to put it in perspective, um, a lot of scientists have said that for us to reach our sustainable development goals by 2050 and the commitments um, we've made to one another through electrifying society, we'll have to mine more copper in the next 30 years than we have mined in the history of humanity. Wow, that's huge. It is huge. And, you know, the good news is we know it's there. Um, the, the challenge for us all is to get to it sustainably. Totally. Yeah. So we'll later discuss a lot of those um, those ways to get to it sustainably. Uh, Tom, before we do that, can you describe uh, your PhD for us? Yeah, sure. So in our research group, we're working on using lasers in a really interesting way. And we're targeting minerals that either damage the environment or minerals that are valuable with an aim to provide real-time sensors so that we can see the things that we're extracting out of the ground either before we bring them out of the ground or before we put them through a processing plant. And the objective there is really to help address some of these concerns that Mike's raised so that we can reject waste rock before we go through all of the energy intensive processes of crushing it and then converting it into tailings. If we can reject it earlier, then we can put it back in the ground much mm -hmm. easier or it can be converted into a construction material. Um, and also if we can identify harmful minerals and the elements that cause damage to the environment, then we can help address some of this supply of copper because so some of the copper in the ground we, we can't mine at the moment because it's associated with damaging elements. Right. And if we and, and if we dig that out of the ground and process it as is, it's going to cause too much damage to the environment and, and just we can't access it. Whereas if we can identify those minerals and identify where they are, then we have the potential to remove them from the processing stream mm -hmm. and access that copper that's locked up that we can't mm. get to at the moment. So it's kind of like mining quality over quantity and what, what you Yeah, need. so it comes down into what they're calling selective mining or, or sorting. So mm -hmm. selective mining is where you you target the things that, that you want to get and you leave behind the things that you, you're not interested mm -hmm. in. And ore sorting is is where you you intervene before you use all this energy and you, you reject the waste material so that, it's, mm. that you don't waste energy, you don't generate waste, you use less water. Mm -hmm. Do you have an example that some of the listeners might be able to relate to? Yeah, so at the moment our research group is prototyping a, a sensor that detects fluorine-bearing minerals. And, and fluorine is, is a big concern for a lot of copper products um, because when it goes through a smelter where you generate the copper metal, fluorine gets liberated to the environment and, and causes a lot of damage. Um, so we are developing right here in Adelaide a, a prototype sensor that's a cross-belt sensor, so a couple of metres in size, um, that will help identify the fluorine minerals so that we can reject high fluorine material and just not process it to begin with. Fantastic. That sounds so relevant and so helpful. Yeah. Um, 
Michael, what are some other ways we can improve our mining practices to become more sustainable, just in general terms? Well, um, you know, there's some research that was done by a fantastic group on um, on the East Coast, uh, um, Professor Deanna Kemp and, and her colleagues at another university, and she pointed to the fact that um, a lot of copper mines are in remote areas, and a lot of copper mines are, are challenged in, in dealing with social issues and social license around the people around them. And, and so um, I think that, um, that, that um, some of the things we can do in general are, um, one, be better to interact with the societies around where we mine um, and listen to them and their ideas. Uh, have a plan to um, close our minds uh, more efficiently and, and maybe use them for other purposes um, where that's appropriate. And you see some examples of that in Australia where, where um, there's, there's a mine that's going to be used for a hydroelectric power plant in Denmark where I moved here from where you take mines that were giving building materials um, and turn them into lakes. Um, and that improves biodiversity, and people want to live around lakes. Um, and, and so that requires commitment and um, long-term thinking, thinking through the entire mining cycle. Um, most, of our, most of our environmental um, footprint is spread throughout the mining process from opening a mine to closing it, but most of our... Um, carbon footprint is through the energy and water we use in processing the rock, getting to the copper or whatever other material we need. And so um, we have to think holistically and we have to um, address new and improved processing issues and, and um, lots of exciting research going on in, um, in Australia and in South Australia working with our, our friends at the University of South Australia doing fantastic things in processing and um, the group that Tom's with uh, um, just thinking outside of the box. Um, and, and I think that what's important as well is we have to listen to all the good ideas. Um, professors don't have all of them. Um, our students don't have all of them. And, and it's about getting out and listening to people um, and, and also being conscious that um, uh, what we use has a cost for all of us. All of our buildings, all of our gadgets, our technologies. And so to be conscious of that as we develop society, to think in circular economy and, and other efforts to really um, consciously minimize impact. Mm, absolutely. Tom, do you think that Australia plays a particularly important role in mining something like copper? Absolutely. Australia has a reputation as, as one of the um, leading countries in terms of mining practice and technology. And, and we have an obligation to maintain that and to make sure that we can improve our processes and demonstrate that we can do this. Um, we, we're perfectly placed to do it and there's no reason why we shouldn't. Mm. Oh, there's no reason why we couldn't. Um, so we absolutely should. Hmm. Michael, are there um, particular reasons Australia is particularly um, plays a particularly important role? Yes. Well, as I um, mentioned, um, 
we're, we're the fifth largest producer right now in the world so um, and have the second largest resource. And we have Australians. And Australians want us to do it as best as possible, not only for themselves, but for the future of, of their children and the future generations beyond. Um, Australian, uh, Australia has a very credible position in both the industrial and geopolitical landscape of doing the right thing. And, and I know um, there's lots of opinions about that, but um, when, you, when you look at how uh, um, things could be mined, um, I've seen the, the efforts here really driven towards improving the situation for all of us. And I see genuine commitments uh, to do better and I see the willingness to um, call out fault when faults happened. Mm. And that's difficult for businesses to do. And, and um, people aren't perfect. Businesses aren't perfect. Um, but it's encouraging to see that when something that, that, that's wrong has happened, um, there's the responsibility, in my opinion, has been taken and we move on and... Uh, that I think is 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 something that you wouldn't see everywhere. Mm, yeah, thank you. Um, so we've talked a little bit about recycling copper. Um, is there anywhere else we can acquire copper other than recycling or taking it from the ground? Sure. Well, um, any creative <laughs> ideas? <laughs> well, together with a, a group at Adelaide University, we published a, a paper I thought was a lot of fun to publish about. Um, uh, getting the minerals we need from space yeah. and from asteroids. And I think that is such a cool idea. Um, and and uh, Tom and his group has technology that could be used for it. They've mm. even built like one of these little mini CubeSats. And and um, I think it is so interesting. And, and people say to me, well, let's fix Earth first and then go to space. And I get that, but it's also there. And one asteroid could have as much copper as we need full stop. Wow. So if we could bring it back in a sustainable manner, that would actually help our planet. How and, do you bring it back? <laughs> well, I don't think we've <laughs> solved that yet. Yeah. Um, a small piece in the puzzle. And, and, um, but, the, but the interesting thing is, is you know, and, and really kind of interesting coffee chat is, a lot of our economies are based on commodities like gold or mm -hmm. silver. What would happen to the global economy if somebody brought back an asteroid that contains more gold in it than the entire global economy mm -hmm. presently has? Mm -hmm. What would happen to our economies? Chaos. <laughs> I don't know if it would be chaos. It would certainly be, <laughs> I, I think it would be, ha you'd have to think about it in, you know, in economic terms before you actually did it. And similarly, um, in Australia, a lot of our economic um, growth and and um, prosperity and and well stand is based on the natural resources we have in the minerals. And so, what if we brought back an asteroid and you didn't need Australian mining? Mm. It's something that we it is creative, but we really have to think through, mm. not just for environmental and ethical reasons, but for the unintended consequences we might have on our own society. If somebody says, great, we've got all the iron we need now, we have all the copper, we have all the gold, we don't need you anymore. Mm. Um, I think with 
in economy where now hydrogen's becoming part of the modern energy system and more solar, that there's an opportunity to convert this. And I think that the talk about space challenges us to have that conversation because our Earth's resources are finite. So at some point, people aren't going to need us. And so we're going to need to figure out what are we going to do instead. Absolutely. And Tom, how does your work relate to this uh, space exploration topic? So I think one of the really, really important things to understand with space resource exploration and utilisation is that... Um, all our efforts that we put into this are going to benefit us down on Earth. Because when we talk about space exploration and resource utilisation, we're talking about building better sensors so that we can process material where there's no water and so that we can target very specifically the things that we need because we can't send people out there to look around and so that we can automate our processes so that we can do it all without having to have people there. And these are all things that, that will help Mm. our terrestrial efforts as well. Yeah, yeah and, and the, the excitement and the drive around space really helps kickstart a lot of the efforts for our terrestrial applications. Mm -hmm. and, and we also get the added benefits of bringing in people who have no background in mining whatsoever. And you get completely different views on how things should be done and how you approach problems and how you automate systems and it's just it's a win for everyone by working together and 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 helping solve the future's problems and helping solve the problems we have right now. Mm -hmm. our, I was just going to say our university is having a short course on it um, next semester like a four-day course where global experts are going to be involved and you know if I was a student I would jump at following that course um, and, and I can see people's eyes light up when they're talking about it. Now, if I said we were having a short course on, I don't know, even sustainable mining, maybe people wouldn't be just as excited, um, but everybody can, can appreciate looking up at this beautiful Australian star, um, you know, uh, what we see at night and, and, and dreaming and thinking that one day we're going to be exploring. And so if there's things we can translate and learn from one another to be more sustainable on Earth and teach us how to do things sustainably, um, as Tom pointed out, you just, you won't have the water in space. Um, you Energy is an issue. All the issues we're dealing with here, um, it's, it's, it's a win-win situation. And especially having the Australian Space Agency right next to the university, mm. it's, it's really- Beautiful um, synergy. Yeah, it's really, cool to be able to link up the two sectors. Absolutely. Uh, Tom, you began your studies in nanotechnology, is that yes. right? Yeah, right. Did you ever think that um, your engineering background would lead you to space exploration? Uh, not to space exploration, no. I, even sort of five or six years ago, space space mining and, and space resources was still very much science fiction. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's only in the last few years that it's really become something that is actually going to happen. Uh, I'm not sure what people realise, but we're very, very likely to have water mined from the moon to support lunar operations within the next decade. Mm. So space mining is definitely going to happen and it's much closer than we think. Um, it's 
not something that I ever thought that I would end up in yeah. or having any involvement in. And it's, it's mm. very, very exciting. Yeah. And Michael, as, as an environmental engineer, did you ever think you'd be advocating for mining processes? Well, I, I, I advocate for sustainable mining processes. Mm. And, and um, uh, I think as an environmental engineer, it's my job to, to do as best as I can to enable prosperity on Earth. And I'm not talking about economic prosperity. I'm talking about the type of prosperity, um, well-stand, if we call it, that, that we all kind of enjoy. Um, to have that expectation to um, flourish to other countries and to ensure our own children and our grandchildren and, and further generations can enjoy what we enjoy in a sustainable and responsible manner. And I guess... Um, moving to Australia and before in Denmark, what I was seeing that with the growth of our population, we need more materials and those have to be mined. Mm -hmm. So um, the impact can be enormous. And if we get it right and Australia can help be that beacon of sustainability that can help others mine more sustainably around the world, what a great mm. thing that is for all of us then. Mm. Well, Tom and Michael, thank you so much for your time today. Um, it's so important to be asking these big questions um, amongst such an incredibly relevant, important topic. Um, so thank you for your time on the Discovery Pod today. Thank, thank you. you. Thanks for listening to the Discovery Pod, brought to you by the University of Adelaide. Join us next time when we discuss space research.